Hi everyone, morning. My name is Lorraine and I am part of the preaching team here at Sutton Vineyard Church. It is nice to see you this morning. It is lovely to be here. If you have your phone and you want to have a look at the fill-in notes, then please do feel free to um, fill them in and answer some of the little questions in there or not. It's up to you. So we all remember them, don't we? Remember that kid, that kid at school who was really popular that kid who is everyone's friend, who was really clever, really sporty, that person who everyone wanted to be like, they were really creative and arty. Do you know what? All the teachers liked them, and everyone just wanted to be their friend. This morning's Bible passage is about hate and unpopularity. Thanks for that. And this morning's Bible passage, I could probably sum up in two words, hate and help. And then after we've explored those together, uh, there are going to be three little ways that I'm going to encourage us, perhaps, that we can navigate through this together, Um, thinking about who we are in Christ, how we feel, and how do we act. So if we look at this passage, the beginning part of it, Jesus and the disciples are in someone's home, uh, and Jesus has washed their feet, and it's this beautiful act of humility, and then Jesus talks about love, love, love. And then he talks about hate. And that's what I got this morning. So we are going to be looking at uh, the passage in John chapter 15. Um, And I've entitled today, How to Win an Unpopularity Contest. And hopefully you'll see why as we start to explore this together. So let's look at the passage. It's John chapter 15, verses 18, and then all the way through to 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Let's just pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and ask you to open your word, illuminate the words to us, Lord. I pray that whatever I've prepared this morning would be um, of you and that as people listen, Jesus, that you would speak to them and gather us to yourself. Amen. Just grab a drink. 
Okay. So this word hate is pretty harsh. Now, it says in the first part, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It's a very troublesome word, hate. And to be fair, it, I would rarely say the word hate. I mean, in my house, my boys might say, oh, mommy, I really hate spinach or something like that. Um, but I wouldn't really use that word very often. Um, but as I was thinking about this, and if I was really pressed, then I probably would say the word hate. Because I really hate injustice. I hate the fact that my son, who has special needs, doesn't have the right to the education that he deserves. I really hate that. And even more, I really hate the fact that powerful systems have aligned purposefully to stop him getting that. I really hate that. And I really hate the fact that children go to bed hungry and children are trafficked away from their families. I really hate that too. And I really hate the fact that racism is so ingrained in our systems. I really hate that. And if I really hate that, then God really hates that too. I remember about 14, 15 years ago when I went for my interview, I went to observe a Year 11 lesson, and the Year 11 lesson was, why do Christians believe in such an angry God? And I thought, that's a rather strange title for the, for the lesson. Why weren't we talking about a loving God instead? But actually, the truth is, God does get angry about certain things. God gets angry about the injustice in the world and the mistreatment of people, about how people are judged and people are oppressed, hungry, in poverty, sick, imprisoned unfairly. And Jesus talks about that in the parable of the sheep and the goats. And we have to take a stand because there is a righteous anger there that burns against injustice. But actually here in John, Jesus is not talking about anger that comes from immoral actions. He's talking about a hatred that comes from revelation that one might feel because we are uncomfortable about the revelation of our sin. Now what do I mean by that? Let me take you back to the playground. We sadly all remember it. Those playground antics where you've got a small group of kids who are challenging the one kid who is a bit different. That one kid whose different viewpoint um, kind of challenges the views of the most popular child. And they are not a yes man. And actually, this makes them quite lonely. And it makes them feel quite different. But the reason why they're different is a good reason. But unfortunately, because they, they stand up for truth, and they are a bit different, it actually makes them the point of ridicule. Now, why would we want to stand out from the crowd? Nobody wants to feel excluded and experience pain and, and rejection. But actually, my thoughts are this morning that perhaps we are called to this. Maybe this is a means to an end. You see, the bullies' own view of themselves is actually that they're not enough, that they lack the understanding and the knowledge that, of anybody that feels that need deep inside them. So they try to gain power over somebody else to feel better about themselves. Now, sadly, as a secondary school teacher, I've seen this firsthand too many times. And I sort of think, well, why, why do they hate the one? I think because it brings out, that person brings out a sense of uncomfortableness in them. Are we like the bully, or are we like the victim in this scenario? Should we want to be like the victim? You see, when we invite Jesus into our, our hearts, he recoils at the sound of gossip, slander, homophobic comments, injustice. We react, and he reacts. 
You see, the victim or the disciple, perhaps as we can look at it in this story, has something that the group wants. They want a reaction, like a laugh or something like that, to make themselves feel better. But why are they doing it? Perhaps they're doing it from, through jealousy or fear or anger or spite. The bullies react, and they might put some pictures on Instagram or Snapchat. Jesus got big reactions to people. Jesus got big reactions because he challenged the status quo, and he was arrested, he was tortured, and he was killed because he was hated. If I am the object of hate as the victim or in my little scenario or as the disciples are in this passage, we've not chosen to be there. We've not chosen that sense of isolation. But we find ourselves there and the question is, how do I react to that? You see, we always have a choice. When words bore a hole into our soul and, and actually perhaps sin and darkness is exposed, then I might feel shame and I might retaliate and I might retaliate with hate back. But actually, that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It is really unpleasant to have your failings pointed out. Um, I get really defensive and I really hate it. I hate to have um, lesson observations. I'm quite used to them now, but um, <clears throat> I don't really like all my failings pointed out for everybody to see. But how do we respond to hate? Do we respond with love or do we respond with hate? The if the world hates you bit, the if in the Greek is actually a certain, that it's not if, it's will. The world will hate you. And if we're going to act and speak and live like Jesus, then actually we're in really good company with him because he was hated too. So we have a choice. Do we return hate for hate or do we return hate with love? And then why does Jesus say that people will hate you? I mean, surely non-Christians have got nothing against Jesus or, or Christians. But in Matthew, he says, he who is not with me is against me. Actually, we can't sit on the fence. You either love Jesus, the Father, Christians, or you don't. John 7, Jesus says, the world hates me because I testify that his works are evil. Jesus' teaching was hated. Uh, he was incredibly countercultural. If you ever think for a moment what Jesus really talked about and what Jesus said was important, he said that sacrifice, love, humility, listening, freedom, justice, mercy, grace, all of those things were really important. And do you know what? It's pretty unnatural for me to love everybody. But Jesus said that we should, because he is here to gather everybody to himself all kinds of people, not just the people like you or the people like me. He's speaking in this passage about non-believers in the Father. If you don't know the Father, then you don't know Jesus. There's a lot about the Father, the Father, the Father in this passage, and it really jumps out at me. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one, the Father, they do not know the one who sent me. If they don't accept Jesus, then they don't accept the Father. Because I and the Father are one. That's what Jesus said. What got him into so much trouble. You see, they, the Jesus here blows their understanding of God the Father out of the water completely. And makes them really, really uncomfortable. Jesus points to their sin. 
of trying to please God, actually making them incredibly corrupt and evil. Jesus came to live a life of service, and we saw that right at the beginning when he washed the disciples' feet. And he calls people to embrace the lowest in society. I remember when we were at uni, and my wonderful husband, um, Dave, he sat down next to um, a homeless guy on the street and just kind of chatted to him and treated him like a human being. And you see, we're not called to seek power and authority over people. We're actually called to something different. God the Father is good beyond comprehension. And if we don't know the Father, then we don't accept Jesus. So, hate. We come on to the second part about help. Okay, this is slightly more positive. So, when the advocate comes, when the advocate comes, when the spirit comes. See, we are not isolated. We are not the isolated victims with our accusers surrounding us. Help is coming. When the advisor, the counselor, the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will join you in speaking about the truth of Jesus, the righteousness of Christ. And he will help you to win this unpopularity contest. Jesus has laid out a pretty negative state of affairs. But he says, do not fear, because the Holy Spirit is coming from the Father to help you. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. This is a message of encouragement. The power of God the Father is coming to be with you and with me. And we are to bear witness to Jesus. Now, what does this mean, bear witness? To bear witness means, as it hopefully says on your screen, to stay true to and uphold the truth of a matter. You see, the disciples were promised difficulties, but the Holy Spirit was coming to speak the truth of Christ and help them. The Holy Spirit's job is to consistently testify about who Jesus is, about his nature, to show God's glory now, maybe you're listening today, um, or if you've listened to this again at some point, you know the Holy Spirit as a familiar friend and a guide and a counsellor. Um, or may maybe you don't. Maybe you don't know who this Holy Spirit is, and you'd like to meet him. When I talk to my year sevens about the Trinity, and we learn about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we talk about how the Holy Spirit is like a kind of supportive guide or counsellor, someone who literally comes alongside to help and support and then with my year 11s, we talk about the imminence of God and how actually the Holy Spirit kind of helps you to understand how to act through your conscience. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. Hang on a second. Jesus asks the Father for us. The Holy Spirit is coming from God the Father for the community of believers how does this work? <laughs> so if we think back, I just mentioned the Trinity just a second ago. Obviously, Christians understand God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the best definition I've had of this, and I've mentioned this before, is the Trinity is a being of one in a fellowship of three. God the Father is like the author and the origins and the first cause of everything. And God the Son is like the artist or the creator Remember that it says, 
through him in one John, sorry John 1 through him all things were made and then the person of the holy spirit brings god to us that's his job and helps us to understand you see the holy spirit is witnessing to jesus and he's witnessing to the truth about jesus and he's he's encouraging us to do that too we are to testify and this is the clincher Without the witness of the Holy Spirit, the disciples' witness is powerless. But without the disciples' witness, the Holy Spirit is restricted. So just like the amazing interconnected loving relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, God says we are partners with him in this, to bear witness. Now that is an incredible privilege So I'd like to go on to work out what does this look like? We've looked about hate and help. And now I'd like to finish off this morning. We're thinking about three ways to apply this to our lives. How do we win the unpopularity contest? And who is the judge of this contest? So firstly, know who you are. Know who you are. Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you. Hmm. We are not alone. Hooray. We are not alone. We are surrounded by God's love. And that is an incredibly powerful weapon. We are chosen. Now, what does that mean? Maybe you're chosen to lead. Maybe you're chosen to serve or to teach. But Jesus knows who you are. Uh, And unfortunately, sometimes he knows who I am and my ego actually gets in the way of that sometimes. But he has made us for a good purpose. And ultimately, he is in charge. And if we're going to do things his way and lay down our priorities, that's really tough (laughs) to submit to him. Um, uh, Actually, we are, you can question, what, what are you chosen for? And then what are you chosen from? Maybe you have a clear moment when God reached out from heaven, reached down into the darkness of your life and grabbed you. Or maybe you've not got a moment before him, but actually you've got a very clear after I met him. But you are chosen to declare witness to the light that is Jesus. And actually this will make you unpopular. It will make us unpopular. But who cares? If we know who we are as part of Jesus' family, then we know that we are chosen So what are you chosen for? God does have a plan for your life. I find it a bit frustrating when God is a bit slow, in my opinion, on telling me the plan for my life. Um, And a little bit, I get a little bit impatient. Because I think, come on, Lord, the instructions aren't very clear here. I'd like to know the next steps. I have to breathe and remember that God's timing is perfect. Mine is not, even though I think I'm a perfectionist. But um, that's another matter. Um, We are chosen. And actually, when you you realise that you're chosen for something, you feel a bit different in that moment. Um, God's wisdom and in God's, in God's wisdom and in God's sovereignty, He will give you a gentle reminder that you are not alone, and actually we can trust in Him. You do not belong to the world in John 15, but I have chosen you out of the world. You don't belong. I don't belong. Jesus didn't belong. Hey, he was Mr. Unpopular. 
But do you know what? He was really secure in his relationship with God the Father. He knew who he was and what he had to do. He knew that he was chosen. It was always about him from the beginning of time. It was always about Jesus. He was always the rescuer, the Messiah, the saviour, the Christ. You see, when you glimpse Jesus, you see the Father. And that is an incredible privilege to know him and to rest in his provision. Do you remember earlier on why the bullies behaved as they did? We said the bullies are doing it because their view of themselves is not enough. You see, we can question our true identity. And I would say, friends, that you are a chosen child of God. If you have invited Jesus into your heart, and if you want to invite Jesus into your heart, you are immediately part of his family. And this enables you to win. Know who you are. And by the way, there's a great prize at the end. Number two, know your feelings. Yes, so I know who I am. I am a chosen child of God. I have to remind myself of that most minutes of most days, because I always forget. And, but that brings some feelings with it. And sometimes those feelings are really positive. They're like gratitude and love and thankfulness. Praise Jesus, thank you so much. I'm part of your family. And other times they are fearful and anxious. And sometimes they are filled with shame. But actually that's okay. I would encourage you to give those to God. Because whenever, whenever we meet Jesus, everybody reacts differently. But don't forget the Holy Spirit, the advocate, is coming to help you. I love teaching. I teach, I'm a teacher of religious studies. Um, and I love teaching about the six major world religions. But what Islam, Judaism, Sikhism, Buddhism, and Hinduism don't have is a God of grace. You have to do quite a lot of things to be accepted. Um, and actually, Jesus accepts you for who you are straight away. I really hate not feeling good enough, and as a perfectionist, it happens to me quite a lot, but I have to remember that through God's grace, I am enough. You are enough. We are enough. We can show others this amazing grace too. We all encounter the difficult person in our life. We all have them. Maybe you have more than one. Um, but ultimately, God helps you to see them through his eyes, and the Holy Spirit will give you the grace that you need we need to pray. But do remember, friends, that Jesus is rooting for you to win. And then finally, know how to act. So why did Jesus come to earth? Great question. Well, of course, he came to teach people. He came to show people how to live. He came to heal people. And he came to die. If I don't know how to act, then I should look to the life of Jesus. Unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you will recognise that our small groups and our church have really enjoyed watching The Chosen. Um, and actually, if you haven't seen it, watch it, because it's a really amazing... I've been a Christian for nearly 20 years, and it's a really wonderful example of how Jesus behaved and how he spoke with the people who were his friends, and actually how he behaved and, and reacted to the people who weren't his friends, for those who hated him. Some people were actually quite afraid of what Jesus' presence meant, um, and maybe that's us too, um, actually, often we find ourselves trapped in our sin. But in our reactions to having our sin pointed out, are we hating in return? Yeah, that might be quite a subtle hate. And maybe I need to do, we need to do some maybe deep questioning of our soul. Are we with Jesus, really? 
Or are we against Jesus? What does this mean? If, if, am I hating Jesus if I'm not doing his will? I'm, I'm not acting in love, but I'm acting in selfishness and try and manipulate things to make my life a bit easier and to cover over my own errors. But don't forget, we are masters of our situation. And actually, God has given us free will to choose. Are we going to choose what Jesus thought was important? Remember what came up on the screen earlier sacrifice, love, humility, grace, justice, mercy, truth. Are we going to choose love before hate? I'd like to invite the band to come back whilst we have a think about a couple of questions, and you'll see them if you're filling in the notes at the end. So I'd like to pose a couple of questions, I guess. Which are you? Are you a contestant? in the unpopularity contest. Maybe you have no desire whatsoever to be in the contest at all. Maybe you're not aware that the contest is even taking place and you're doing okay-ish. Perhaps you'd like to be the judge of the contest. Or maybe you want to be in a different contest, the popularity one. Or are you going to join? Are you going to join the unpopularity contest and are you going to win to be with Jesus? The truth prevails in the end. And actually, when we consider this idea of unpopularity, unpopular with who? Who is important? Whose affirmation do we need? You see, Jesus said that we are called to be unpopular because we will be hated. But actually, we should respond to that hate with love. And we should respond with grace, just like Jesus. Amen.